the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. There are things that only you are designed to accomplish. There are things that only you are designed to accomplish. Now, before some of you begin to get anxious about that, let me remind you this. God does not, nor has ever, nor will ever need you for results. The pressure is not on your shoulders. He will accomplish. However, what he would like to do is breathe through you and allow you to have a front row seat of awe. That when he moves through you in a particular gifting in a certain way, you will be able to see him change the world right in front of your face in a way that only you can. If we miss out by being fearful or not wanting to step out of our comfort zone or refusing to be submitted to the Lord or being arrogant or prideful and only doing what we want to do, we will miss that front row seat. God will still get his purposes accomplished, but you will receive no blessing. What Paul is about to do in front of us is start talking about design And the Corinthian church were so proud of all their giftings. And man, they looked awesome as a church. And shouldn't everybody be impressed? Look at all our spiritual gifts. And Paul walks in and goes, you're a mess. You're a mess. And you know what? You're completely divided and angry at each other because of leaders who you keep trying to say in your own mind, you're judging them to be gods and demigods. And you're trying to say leaders are all that and, ooh, we're a big deal and you're terrible and you're the enemy. He's going, listen, you're spending all your time judging things you know nothing about. Only God who knows the design and knows the plan and knows the players, only he can determine what is right and what is wrong. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. We're going to be doing all of chapter 4. We have limited time tonight. But we're going to get through as fast as we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. And it's page 953, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read through it. Then we will pray and tear it apart. Let's do this. Paul said, you want to talk about leaders? This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? Why do you, why do you have, what do you have that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already, oh, I see you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. Hey, would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to die. 
Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Oh, Paul's ticked off. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us into a discipleship discussion where you would train us and lead us and we could follow you and mimic you and be like you. But Lord, some of us have been lied to by the enemy. We, We question your design. Indeed, Lord, maybe some of what is in us is in a fallen world. Maybe some of it is a cross to bear. Maybe some of it is indeed bad. But what I know about you, Lord, is that it's not a surprise to you. What I do know is that you are brilliant in compensation and adaptation. What I see in you, Lord, is that you will bring your glory through all of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's bring it back to verse one. Let's go through this. Paul said, you know, you've been talking about, oh, Paulus is a big deal. Peter's a big deal. Paul's a big deal. And you either make us out to be villains or heroes. Let me tell you how you ought to think of us. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. That word servant was originally used for the lower deck of a ship, the rower guys. You know those guys. That all you do is you hit the drum or whatever it is and the guys move like that. That's it. What are you going to do next? I think I'm going to go like that again. Right? And then when they tell me I'm going to do that all over again. All right, I don't own the ship. I don't steer the ship. I row because that's what God asked me to do. I am subservient to my master. Whatever leader you think is a big deal, guess what? He's rowing. That's all. You should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Listen, we didn't come up with the mysteries of God. We didn't design the mysteries of God. We don't own the mysteries of God. We are stewards. That word comes from the concept of a major domo, a servant who runs an entire household. Do we meet out the mysteries of God? Do we explain the mysteries of God? Do we teach the mysteries of God? Yes. Does it appear that we have the corner market on the mysteries of God? Sure it does. Do we own anything? No. Do we come up with anything? No. We merely reveal what our master has said. Regardless of being a major domo or not, regardless of being the head servant or not, 
I'm not a master, he said. I'm just a servant. And that's how you ought to regard me. Should you be under my authority? Yes. Do I replace Jesus? Never. Moves on, verse 2. Moreover, since we're talking about stewards, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. See, so you're faithfulness. Why? A servant's number one job is to carry out the will of the master. He will be judged based on his faithfulness to the calling. It is not for him to initiate, but there is a lot of room for creativity and carrying things out. Sure, the master brought you on and hired you and built into you so that you might be able to go free and have an adventure on his behalf. However, you are not controlling it. He is in control. But with me, he said, if we're talking about whether I've been successful or not, let's talk about it. Verse three with me, it's a very small thing. If I should be judged by you or any human court, I take your assessment of me with a grain of salt. Why? Because you don't know what you're talking about. What you're going to assess out, oh, Paul, the apostle is this and Peter is this and Apollos is that you don't even know what you're saying. You don't know anything about what God's plan was. So how can you assess that? How can you tell whether or not I'm doing God's will when you don't even know God's will for me? I'm not going to put much stock in what another human being from a limited point of view is going to say about me because you don't know me. As a matter of fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't know. I mean, I I think I have all the pieces. I don't know because I have to match it up against God's will and I don't know what God's will is. So I'm not going to judge myself. Quick side note on that. There are personalities in this room that you spend the vast majority, majority of your time degrading yourself. I'm not worth it. I'm no good. I don't have anything to offer. I got to tell you right now, unacceptable. You do not judge yourself because you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I don't have any of this. I'm not, I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not for what? What what do you think? What, where's your measuring stick? Powerful enough for what to accomplish what God has handed you? If God needs you more powerful, he'll make you more powerful. If God needs you something, he'll make you something. I would suggest to you that you're trying to say, I do not have enough to fulfill maybe someone else's role. Okay. That doesn't deem your value because you're not supposed to play their role. You're supposed to play your role. So as a matter of fact, I do not believe you are deficient in any way. Verse 4. Now, I'm not aware of anything against myself, meaning I can't currently think of any evil going on in my world. I can't even think of any active sin in my life. But do you understand that does not mean I'm innocent? That does not mean I'm acquitted. What, because I examine myself and I think I'm legit? What, that means God thinks I'm legit? I don't even know what to look for. The whole time I can be like, man, I got this Christian thing nailed. And the whole time I'm suffering from pride, didn't even see it. And that... Do you understand that pride is one of the abominations of God? It's one of the things that makes him want to throw up. We're not even tracking on it. We're not tracking on any of that stuff. It's like we're looking only in one tiny corner going, nailed it. Right? And he's like, what about the rest of the room? When you messed up all this? You know, he said, listen, I don't judge myself. And honestly, as I'm assessing myself, I don't even know. It is the Lord who judges me. He's my ultimate authority. He knows. Therefore... 
Do not pronounce judgment before the time. Don't say you know how it all works out. Don't say that you know whether or not somebody is accurate completely or not accurate completely. Don't say that you know what ministry is ultimately successful or what ministry is not. You don't know that stuff. Do not pronounce judgment before the time. What time? Before the Lord comes, the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's going to show up and he'll bring to light all the hidden stuff in the darkness. He'll disclose the purposes of the heart. Then, according to his standards, each believer will receive his commendation from God. Let's talk about judging for a second because we're way off on this. Okay, we have a bunch of things that we all scream out in society. One of them is, don't judge me. Okay, here's the deal. Here's where judgment needs to be. Judgment, according to our working definition, how do I know that? Because I just made it up. According to our working definition, it is that you are passing ultimate closure judgment. You're closing the book on a matter. You don't have the right to do that of a person. Okay? What it means is if you judge another person, what you're saying is this is all you'll ever be. I know all that there is, I know all that you are, and I now have assessed the two, and I will deem your value and worth to this world. Should we judge people in that? No. Come on. That's silly. So what are we then to judge? Because the Bible says judge those that are within the church. The Bible says judge whether or not the fruit is good or bad. The Bible says to test the spirits, and we are judging behaviors and attitudes and outcomes. There's nothing wrong with judging pieces. Of things we have to at all times we have to judge and go that water i believe i'm going to judge right now that water killed that man i should not drink it it's all right to pass judgment on that yeah what we're not doing is on dynamic moving things that are shifting and moving like a human being you don't know the end result of that you do not tell me you're worthless you don't know that well you know what that whole race there what what'd you just say you don't know anything about that whole race. You don't know what God created. Why are you passing judgment? Oh, well, that person, they're a complete idiot. I'm sorry, did you just say complete idiot? How do you know the standard of idiocy? I understand you may have been walking in that territory for some time. That does not make you an expert. Do you see what I mean is that we are not allowed to close a book or say that is all that is said about that matter. You don't know that. So what we ought to do then is in things like whole lives or people, you need to step off because you don't know. When it comes to behaviors and attitudes and outcomes and actions, you are to judge them with humility and nervousness why because while you judge that action you may well have a worse in your own life so should we have humble correction yes should there be judgment and correction yes let's just make sure we know what we're talking about before we do it says this verse six now i've applied all these concepts and everything to myself and Apollos, your, your pastor after me, he said, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn. That phrase right there is what's used for a disciple, someone that practices what they're taught. That you may learn by practice, by us, not to go beyond what God has revealed to you. Not to go beyond what is written. You don't just get to make up your own rules and own ideas on what's important in this world. We follow what God says and that's it. 
You do not go beyond what's written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Do you understand that in a biblical worldview, arrogance is absurdity. Now, if you step out of a biblical worldview and we start estimating with each other, then I could be arrogant because I can basically say I'm stronger than you. But in a biblical worldview, someone's going to go, who gave you your strength? Oh, Jesus did. So he can take it away, right? So what are you cocky about? And that's where Paul goes in the argument. He said, who sees anything different in you? Are you not just another person, a human being, right? We're not talking about angels or gods or anything like that. We're just talking about people, right? Who sees anything different in you? Are you really that much better than any other human being? And in what way? What do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing started of you. There's no origin in you. You originate nothing. You're borrowing stuff. You've been given stuff to steward. I understand all that. But if you received it like as a gift, why are you bragging as if you didn't receive it? Are you forgetting or are you trying to pretend? Already. Oh, I see. You have all you want. Right now. Now, Paul goes into the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Right. Praise the Lord, he and I are similar in that regard. We actually share that gift. Um, He said, oh, I get it. You you already have all you want, right? You're already so great. You've received everything from the Lord. You're way ahead of everybody. Oh, I get it. Already you've become rich. Look at that, man. You're all pumped up spiritually. You're doing great, right? Without us, you became kings. Not, you don't even need leaders. You don't even need any of us around, right? Because you're just excelling and excelling. Wow, you're incredible. You know what? I wish that was true. I wish you did reign because that would mean now Jesus has come back. We're in the millennium and we're reigning too. That would be cool. Guess what? Your head's in the clouds, buddy. Come back to earth. For I think, if you, you want to know what I think? I, I think that you think that you're way advanced, right? Let me tell you what I think. And I'm an apostle, he said. Let me tell you where I think my calling is, my design, because if we all want to talk about who are the big dogs, you guys have been telling us that Peter and Apollos and me, and you're trying to tell us that we're all huge, powerful guys and we run every, okay, let me tell you exactly what I think we are. This is how I view it. You guys are all big deal, right? Okay. Here's where we're at. I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the cosmos spectacle to the universe to angels to men now he's about to utilize an analogy that was common to them unfamiliar to us it's very familiar if you've been in the church because you've probably been taught this what he's talking about is a triumph a triumph is where roman generals after a huge war they would have a parade of success and what you do is you put all your big dogs up front They're out in front and they basically, you kind of have your commander up a little bit higher than everybody else. And then you have all your warriors and they're all cheering. They look studly and ripped and everything, right? And then they're carrying all their trophies. They're like, check it out. I got this and I got this. And here's all our wealth and our gold. And you parade it through the streets. So everyone's impressed by you at the last end, the tail end of the parade is your finale stuff, which is your captives, 
You bring in your captives because what you're going to do is everyone's going to go into the arena and have a party and they want to watch a show. So you take all your captives and throw them to the wolves or to the beasts. They tear them apart while you cheer and drink beer. That's how it goes. He said, that last crew, that's us. Oh, you guys are up front? Really? Corinthians, that's awesome for you. Really? You guys are just like, ooh, check us out. We're victorious. Well, I'll tell you where we're at. The apostles are way in the back. So I'm not quite sure whether or not we have this all right, but whatever. Maybe you know better than I do. We are fools for Christ's sake. We're a spectacle. I mean, we get tore up while the world laughs. We're fools for Christ's sake. Yeah? You're wise in Christ. I get it. Yeah. No, you guys, God's given you all kinds of gifts and blessings. And sure. Oh, we're weak. You're strong, though. You're strong. We're weak. You're held in honor. We're in disrepute. That's all sarcasm. Now, let me tell you what it's like to be an apostle. Verse 11. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed. We are beaten like slaves. And we're homeless. We work with our own hands for a living. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we entreat. Now, I need you to understand, he's talking the way of humility, yeah? Can you see that? Where he's going, listen, it's not about us, it's about God. That's why we run a different way. This is abhorrent to the Greco-Roman ancient world. Why? Because the Greek, Aristotle, said the highest virtue of any man is great-heartedness. And great-heartedness means don't let anyone ever talk down to you. So basically, it's arrogance, right? It's, I'm so awesome... And I believe so strong, I am a lion in my heart, that if you dare say something against me, I'll smash you. Because I know I'm great. That makes a man. All of a sudden, Christianity comes out. And Jesus comes out and goes, what's that? That's funny, because I don't see it that way. What I see is that when you're beat down, you're running my show. It's not about you. What I hear is it's not about, oh, number one, me. I hear that it's about God. I hear that you give up and make everyone else higher than you. I hear that it's servant leadership, that it's flipped upside down. I hear that you are here to serve the world. Higher the level of title, the greater the servant. Yeah? That's what I hear. Now, you have to understand, the Greeks and the Romans wanted nothing to do with that. They're like, that's what slaves do. That's what losers do. Whatever, I guess you consider me a loser then, because I'm doing it Jesus style. We have become, in the world's eyes, and are still, like the scum of the world, the garbage, the dung of all things. That's pretty powerful. Let me tell you something that I've wrestled with my entire Christianity, and that is... Am I okay if God's calling is not what I want? Am I fulfilled if I fulfill God's plan, which is less than what I wish? Am I all right? Let's say, for example, God calls you to go up halfway up the mountain and to nail in the pegs and help people go up past you. You all right with that? You actually never get to the top. That's not your job. But you help everyone to the summit. You all right with that? 
Because if you're not all right with that, you're going to create your own calling and you're going to climb up to the top and God is disappointed. But you'll get there. You'll get to the top. You can force your way up there. People will be lost in the process because you're actually supposed to be in the middle of the mountain helping them through. But whatever, there's always collateral damage, right? I have always wrestled with what if God's calling for me is loss? What if God's calling for me is frustration? What if God's calling for me is less? Am I okay with it being okay for him? He said, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. I'm trying to correct you like a dad. I'm here to admonish you as my beloved children. For although you have countless guides, and these were slaves who would watch over the kids that would guide them and instruct them and everything, you got a million of those at church in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I take you personally. I introduce you to Jesus. You came alive. I urge you then, be imitators of me. What? Is that arrogance? Right, because a lot of people who wouldn't know what they're talking about would go, I would never say that. All right. Here's what you're missing. You would go, be imitators of me. Like as if you came up with it. No, here's what you're doing. Be imitators of me. And Paul says later, as I follow Christ. Why? Because there's a very simple fact about human beings. We only grow up by role modeling. We only grow up by copying. It's how we live. Why is he telling him to imitate him? Because it's how human beings move forward. Of course you have to look at human beings because you don't get ethereal, invisible things. Hey, go be perfections personified. What does that mean? I don't know. Hey, how about doing what I do? I do a quiet time. How about you do a quiet time? That's it. Well, I can do that. Well, that's the point. I'm trying to give you traction here, right? I'm not trying to give everything, even the idea of Jesus. You know the reason why Jesus got everything started and then set a crew in motion that was more like us? It's because we can track with them and go, well, I could be as stupid as Peter. I could be as doubtful as Thomas, right? I could be as scared as John Mark. I could, be, right? Because they're, they're people you can chase after that you go, I can do that. Right on. That's how human beings grow. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach him everywhere in every church. You know what he did? Is he just put a huge exclamation point on what he just said. Why? He just sent them the perfect mimic of him. Timothy. Timothy is a mini Paul. Why? Because that's his, that's his boy. They travel together, they do the same thing together, it's, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, you're an evangelist, I'm an evangelist. He just does everything that Paul does. So he comes in and he sends in the perfect role model. And everyone looks and they go, I'm not like Timothy at all. And he's like, I know that's a problem. Timothy's going to live among you. He's going to sit there and walk in as your pastor for a short amount of time. Guess what? That's what it looks like to imitate me. Look, he's my duplicate. Okay, the only thing that I want you to understand from that piece right there is that role modeling matters. And so everyone that is a believer in this church right here, right now, has to be involved in learning from someone and training someone. That's it. If you're not, what are you doing? 
What, really? People can't learn from you? Well, I don't know everything, and I can't get all the way. No, you can't get all the way there. Here's what I'm asking you to do. How about you take them one more step forward, then hand them off? Do you know how to pray? Cool. How about training somebody to pray? Well, I can do that. Fine. Do that. I understand you can't take them all the way there. I understand you don't know everything and you're not going to go to the nth degree with them and mentor them for their entire life. No, of course you're not. How about giving them one boost? Hey, I do know how to be loving to somebody or, hey, man, you're being judgmental and I'm going to have to correct you on that. Right on. That was at least advancement. Let's do that. Are you investing in anybody else like that? And in fact, are you role modeling anybody? Who are you role modeling? I'll tell you you're role modeling someone because human beings can't do without it. The question is, who are you role modeling? Because either it's someone on TV or it's someone you know. Those are your choices. And if it's someone you know, what is their ultimate outcome? If you decide to role model somebody, please look at them holistically all the way around. Why? Because if you're role modeling an incredible businessman who's loaded and wealthy, I'd like you to look at him as a father and a husband as well. Because if he is deficient in those areas and you're role modeling him, you may well pick up some unintended consequence. He finishes with this. He said, by the way, let's get back to you about my correction of you. There are some of you who are arrogant, he said, who I'm writing this letter to, as though I'm not coming. Oh, you can talk about me any way you want. You can disparage me and what I'm not going to show back up. I understand I don't get into town very often, but I told you I was coming back and I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And you know what? I'm going to find out. Not about the talk of these arrogant people. Who cares about that? I'm going to find out about their power. Well, you want to, you want to badmouth me and you're going to commit? Let's go head to head with the Holy Spirit. Let's go. You want to talk about ministry? You want to talk about power? Let's do this. You got anything? Or you just all talk? Da, 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 da. Watch that. I'll walk in. Now, what's interesting is some commentators split here and they're like, do they mean that Paul's going to examine them and correct them in the Lord? Or do they mean the Holy Spirit's going to discipline people on his behalf first thing i thought of when i read that do you guys remember the passage that says they were eating they were taking communion in an unlawful manner and many of them died do you remember that where the holy spirit's like i'll just kill you whoa is paul gonna walk in and go i'm walking in with the power of the holy spirit you want to go against me let's do this go ahead you bring your power because the holy spirit's with me and he may well shut you down Because let's be honest, the kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk, but in power. That's called a gauntlet throwdown, right? So what do you want? And this is that that kind of funny sarcasm again. What What do you want me to come with? You want me to come with a rod? Is that what you want? Now the rod is that thin stick that you'd whack, you'd whack people with for discipline. He's like, you want me to bring one of those? Or do you want me to come in love? You want me to come in gentleness? You want me to come with a hammer? What do you want? Because, I mean, you guys can fix this, so by the time I get there, we're all good. And I will be nice Mr. Paul. (laughs) But if you're like the way I think you are, and I arrive and there's no change, it's not going to go well. I just need you to understand that. All right. God has designed all of us to play these different roles, and he is consistently calling us out in faithfulness. Can you please do what I asked you to do? 
Can you do what I designed you to do? Well, I don't know everything. I know you don't know everything. Can you do what I asked you to do? Let's go forward. What are we going to do? One step, one step right now. Okay, because here's the thing. We need to get out there and active and involved because sometimes we're not even going to understand the full impact of our gifting. So here's my challenge for this week, and I'm going to close with a video. Here's the challenge for this week. I want you to pick one area, and you've all been handed these sheets, right? These sheets by the greeters. It talks about the heart of service. We even have, we turned all of our city kiosk stuff on the sidewall here into heart of service. You can sign up right there. All this stuff, you can even check the the QR code, scan that in, sign up that way. This is a listing of all the needs we have in our ministries. I want you to figure one out that's in your wheelhouse, in your gifting, in your ability that doesn't hurt your family's time. If you are at a place where you cannot do it because of your family's time and it will somehow hurt your family, stand down. But if you are being called forward and you're ready to jump forward in discipleship, I want you to do something. It can be a one-time event. I'm not asking you to commit for the rest of your life. It could be a one-time event. Hey, I can help set up communion. That's awesome. Yay. I want you to do something that you can do, that you can do good. Why? Because then your life begins to make more sense. All right? If you tend to go into an area out of your wonderful serving hearts and you are super sweet and you know what, Pastor Lance, I will clean toilets if you need to. I have a lot of people offering to clean toilets, which I think is pretty cool except for I know that they're lame at cleaning toilets. So I appreciate the humility, but I'd love for you to do something in your passion because God has gifted you a certain way. And when we don't follow that, not awesome stuff tends to happen. And that's what the video is about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would show us all the little insights and the amazing ways we've been gifted that seem so foolish and ridiculous and useless and frustrating. And God began to knit together a new vision for us in Jesus' name. Amen.